here. Welcome to Psych Minds Podcast. I am the host for the show, which has two mini series within it. In the end mental health series, I talk all things related to mental health. Anyone interested in cultivating a sense of peace and tranquility in their lives might want to give this podcast a listen to. In my end ABA series, I talk about all things related to applied behavior analysis. I used to work as a behavioral supervisor in a clinic for individuals with autism and with children and adults who had varying levels of needs. So parents, caregivers, or therapists might find some of the information useful. It is important to note that while everything's based on my education and experience, what is said is by no means prescriptive. So please take what resonates with you and just leave what doesn't. With that being said, I hope you enjoy listening and learn something new today. Welcome back to Psych Minds Podcast, Episode 9, with me, your host, Nicole Plumridge. Today, we'll be talking about what to do if your child engages in escape-maintained behavior. So a couple of episodes ago, I talked about the four functions of behavior in the context of challenging behavior. So why do individuals behave the way they do? And based on the scientific literature... Individuals engage in maladaptive behavior to access one of four different functions. So that's escape, attention, tangible items, or for sensory purposes. And sometimes these kind of combine and some behaviors are multiply controlled, as we say in ABA. But I will kind of go into that in a later podcast episode because that just needs a more in-depth discussion. But today we're just going to be discussing escape maintained behavior in more depth by talking about what it is, what it could look like, and some strategies on how to work with your child if they are exhibiting behaviors to access escape. As always, I highly recommend that you check out the free resources section on PsychMinds because each of my episodes has a free resource that goes along with it. So just go on over to psychminds.com, click on the resources button and subscribe, and then you'll have access to the entire resource library. So first, let me define what I mean when I say escape maintained behavior. So all behavior occurs for a reason. So that's to say that nothing happens out of nowhere. There's always a cause. Um, There's so many times where parents will tell me that uh, a behavior just occurred out of the blue, um, happened out of nowhere, it was totally unexpected. But in ABA, we say that there's no behavior or behavior doesn't occur in a vacuum. There's always something that can trigger it. And it's our job to find out what that is. So when we're talking about escape maintained behaviors, we are talking about behaviors that your child engages in, in order to avoid or escape uh, from what is perceived to be an aversive task or situation. And this behavior can look different depending on your child, their behavioral repertoire, as well as their learning history. So what responses were reinforced in the past, which are now occurring due to that reinforcement? Perhaps they learned that if they scream and bite, then you stop presenting the homework and they get to escape doing it that evening and they get to, you know, play their games or do something else instead. So that would all be a part of their learning history 
And it's kind of our job to kind of understand and explore that and then develop interventions based off of that. In my practice, I've seen a wide range of different behaviors that individuals use in order to access escape. Some of them are kind of obvious and overt, like hitting or flopping to the floor or screaming, while some can actually be a bit more covert and it's less clear what's actually happening. So I'll give an example of a kid that I worked with. Well, he wasn't a kid, he was an older individual and he would try to escape doing work tasks by starting up a very relevant conversation with you and you wouldn't realize what was actually happening until you were half an hour into the session and he still hadn't even started his work task, which is something that he was supposed to be doing during that session. So when I observed this happening, I kind of told the therapists on his team to limit the conversations to just a few minutes and if necessary to use a timer and to kind of remind him that once he's done, they can finish the conversation. Although it's interesting because for him, the reinforcement wasn't so much having the conversation with the therapist as it was escaping doing the task. So as part of the intervention, we made sure that the tasks were short and relatively easy to do. And once that was in place, he would complete his vocational work tasks. And then, you know, he had plenty of time to either chat or do whatever he wanted to do during his breaks, which funnily enough was not actually chatting because chatting was not the reinforcement. Getting attention was not the reinforcement. The reinforcement was basically not doing the vocational work that he was supposed to be doing during that session. So one of the key uh, points that I want to mention here is that while it's important to have our children, our clients do what they're supposed to do, it's also important to make sure that they are working for something that they want to earn. And it's important to keep in mind that some of these reinforcers may be quite idiosyncratic. So we might not expect certain things to be reinforcing when they are, you know, for the individual. So I've worked with some children who have wanted to earn toys, drawing pictures. Some have wanted to print out pictures, you know, from the internet. Others have wanted to earn having a conversation. That's actually, you know, reinforcing for them. Tea was another one, sips of tea. More idiosyncratically, I had a kid who really wanted to earn literally just a piece of string and play with it for a couple minutes. And even during one of my sessions, I had a child who brought in live animals in a container. And for that session, we used that as the reinforcer because that was the only thing that she wanted to earn. Uh, I won't get into the details of that now, but safe to say this only happened during that one session. And um, yes, it was only because the animals couldn't be taken back home. But once parents were kind of informed and we talked through this you know, situation with them, it didn't happen again because using live animals is not usually the best reinforcer unless you're working in a home environment and it's like a pet or something but this wasn't a pet setting so or a home setting so yeah it wasn't really appropriate to be bringing in animals but yeah you see all sorts of things in this job anyway this is an important thing to mention because i feel that most of us assume that children should just do work because that's the done thing they should just do their work and not even, you know, earn a reinforcer. It should just be done because that's what's expected of them. Why should they earn something for doing what's expected? Uh, for that, I would say, if you actually think about it, as an adult, would you go to work if you weren't getting paid to go to work? And I would say that the answer for most of us is highly unlikely. 
If we're not getting paid, we won't show up to that job. We'd get a different one. So why should children be expected to do task after task without accessing any reinforcement for it? So let's get into some tips now on how to work with escape-maintained behavior. And it's interesting because in the space of my practice, I've seen a big shift in dealing with escape-maintained behavior. So when I first started as a behavior analyst, the tendency was towards what we call escape extinction. And what this means is that the child has to do the task you gave them, because if they get to escape or avoid it, then you're reinforcing that behavior, and they will engage in that escape-maintained behavior more in the future. And, you know, that point has some validation, but escape extinction can be a problem, especially when the individual is on the older side, or they are bigger than you or stronger than you. Escape extinction can actually be quite dangerous, because basically what it is, is it's prompting the individual through the task. And, um, you know, these prompts can just be vocal, verbal, they can be physical, where you're physically prompting them. And that's much easier to do when the child is smaller, you can manage them. If they have challenging behavior, it's not dangerous to you. And you can physically prompt them through so that they do not escape doing the task. However, when you're working with older individuals, you certainly can't do that. You can't necessarily physically uh, move them through the task or whatever it is. I mean, they could get up, they can punch you, they can do some serious damage. And even with younger children, I've seen that ex- escape extinction really not work. So I've seen a child flopped on the floor for over an hour, refusing to do work. The therapist is on the floor with them, kind of continuing to present the task or the demand to make sure that the child isn't escaping. But I mean, just kind of looking at that scenario and that situation, it's just a bad situation for everyone, for the kid who's been on the floor for an hour, for the therapist. But now I feel there's more of a move towards a more gentle approach and treating these behaviors without having to resort to escape extinction. And I think that's definitely a good thing because also some kids can seriously wait you out. So if you're not or you cannot physically prompt them, they can just stay flopped on the floor for hours. And if you think about it, they're actually accessing reinforcement this way because even if you're in their face presenting the task, trying to get them to comply, if they're not complying, they're still accessing escape, which is what they want. So... In my opinion, it's a good thing to move away from escape extinction and towards more gentle approaches and also towards, as we would say, antecedent modifications. So manipulating the environment before the challenging behavior occurs and really focusing on that. I think that's a really important strategy. So now we're going to talk about some of those strategies in more depth. So in order to manage escape maintained behavior, it is important to understand it. So as a BCBA, typically we would do preliminary assessments to see what specifically triggers the behavior. Is it a certain type of task? Because it may be that your child only struggles with handwriting tasks when they are presented and they will try and escape doing those, but they are still fine with completing other tasks. So if this is the case, the intervention will look very different from a child who tries to escape all demands or all work-related tasks. It's also important to look into the time of day that the behavior occurs and to see if there's any sort of pattern or a specific time where it's more likely to occur. 
So if the child is fine during the mornings but engages in escape in the afternoon, then the child may just be tired. So you might want to allow for more breaks or to have easier tasks uh, be done in the afternoon and get the difficult ones done in the morning. So, you know, kind of manipulate the environment that way to best support your child. It's also important to understand whether the behavior genuinely is occurring to access escape. So sometimes a child will engage in a certain behavior, which may look as if it is for escape, but it's actually for something else, you know, attention perhaps. So I can kind of go back to the example I was talking about earlier with my guy kind of, you know, um, having those conversations to access escape. We were pretty sure that it was escape and not attention maintained because when he was instructed to engage in the task and the therapist kind of would give him attention for engaging in the task, they would kind of deliver like motivational statements like, oh, that's great. You're, you know, doing a really good job. Um, I can see you're, you know, you've really got the hang of this. He wouldn't really engage and he didn't really seem interested in accessing our attention. Um, the conversations were more just to escape doing the task. But it's really important to kind of look into that and make sure that you are dealing with escape maintained behavior and not something else. Now I'm just going to run through some more general tips and I'm not going to talk about each of them too long just so that we get through quite a few of them. So one is when transitioning between tasks, you could include a transition activity so instead of going from a highly preferred activity like, you know, playing in the playground with all the friends to tabletop work, you could include some sort of activity to help that transition. So instead of going from something highly preferred to something that's not preferred at all, do something that's moderately preferred. So perhaps coloring at the desk to help ease that transition. So from playground to coloring to tabletop work. Um, also, before starting a task, it's very important to conduct a preference assessment. So that would involve seeing what your child wants to earn for doing work. Because again, we said that we would not wake up at 8 a.m. and, you know, go about our day at work for the majority of the day if we weren't getting paid to do so. So offering an incentive for your child is not really about bribing, which is what I've heard a lot of parents and, you know, people call it. It's not so much bribing as it is simply encouraging them and rewarding them for doing their work and, um, you know, completing whatever the tasks are that they were set. And once you have that reinforcer, you can then give them reminders as to what they're earning if they do get off task or if they do start kind of acting silly or engaging in what we call precursor behaviors. So that would be any behavior that typically occurs before the full-blown challenging behavior. So perhaps they start laughing, being silly, kind of, you know, flopping around on their chair. And these are behaviors that occur before the tantrum, the meltdown. So once you see those occurring, you deliver the reviews and the reminders that, oh, guess what? You're earning, you know, TV time if you finish your homework. Uh, if the behavior is quite severe, you might want to teach having your child simply ask for a break. So some sort of appropriate alternative response. So instead of hitting or, or biting to access escape, they can simply ask for a break and access one. And once you see the challenging behavior start to decrease significantly, then you can look into fading the demands back in and starting, you know, with small, easy demands to build that behavior momentum. But it is important to start where your child is at. So if they're not ready to do, you know, an hour of work or something after school and they're having so much behavior, 
start small um, and help build up that repertoire. Uh, I personally once worked with a girl in a school who hated tabletop work. Any of it, math, English, science, didn't matter. She hated tabletop work. And she would engage in all sorts of, you know, behaviors to access escape from it. So myself and the team, we came up with a behavior plan that she has, you know, four break requests, which she could use per hour. The breaks were anywhere between just one to four minutes where, you know, we'd just do a quick uh, walk outside the classroom or, or access, you know, the play area. Something that was, you know, short in duration that we could do just to help break up the hour. And um, this worked very well, but unfortunately, the school did not like the intervention. And this was a real shame because she was doing really well with it. But their argument was that she was missing the material for those you know, one to four minutes that she was outside of the classroom. But the thing is, you know, from my opinion, she wasn't accessing that material anyway, even when she was in the classroom, because her behavior was completely off task and she was distracting the other kids in the classroom. But the teachers, they just wanted her physically in the chair. Really, whether or not she was learning or or actually gaining anything useful from the instruction. But yes, unfortunately, we had to reevaluate the plan, change it up. But what's important here is that she had been doing well and she would not have continued to access those breaks for the rest of the year. So once we see challenging behavior decrease, that's when the intervention also changes and evolves. So the breaks would also reduce. They would either reduce in time or reduce in frequency. And this girl was very quick and very smart, so she would have been able to pick up on these contingencies very quickly. But working with schools is a a whole other a whole other topic really for potentially another podcast episode. Uh, let me know if you would like to hear some of my experiences or how it is, you know, as a as a BCBA in schools. Because yes, there's a, there's a lot that goes with that. Uh, but anyway, back to our uh, tips on dealing with escape maintained behavior. Another strategy is using visuals. So visual schedules can be very helpful. They can help make it clear what the expectations are and what the reward is for completing uh, whatever is expected of them. And these visual schedules will look different based on your child's level of needs. So I've worked with some kids who have first then schedules and it's just pictures. So first, you know, some sort of work picture with an arrow pointing to the iPad. Let's say that's their reinforcer. So first work, then iPad. I've also worked with kids who've had full-on written-out schedules of like their school day or activities to do when they're at home. And this is like in writing where the kid can actually cross off what they're, what's been done already. You can do this on the iPad where kids kind of switch over. So they've already done this task. They switch it over to the done column and then they can access a break. Uh, you can also use tokens. So in my practice, I found tokens to be extremely useful in helping kids stay on track and helping them kind of understand the amount of work that's expected of them before they get to access their reinforcer. So they could have, let's say, a set of 10 tokens, and each token is equivalent to one, let's say, correct response. So once they emit a correct response, they get a token. Once they have 10 tokens, they can exchange that for something that they want, which in this case might be a break. And this is all customized based on what, you know, your child can understand. I've also used timers a lot in my practice. I find that time is quite an abstract concept and using timers can help make it more clear for your child 
when they are going to have a break or finish, you know, the task. Uh, it also helps when uh, the child is having a break. So it's helpful for them to know that the break isn't, you know, just going to be endless and go on for like 10, 15, 20 minutes. If you have a timer and they can see the timer, they will understand that, okay, the break is five minutes. And then maybe they can ask for one more minute to access it. But I really do find that timers help anchor the abstract notion of time to something more tangible, which children can really grasp and understand. Um, using timers can also help teach waiting skills, which helps to teach delayed gratification. And as usual, start where your child is at. So usually start with small time increments. If you're teaching, you know, your child to wait or teaching your child to engage in a certain task for a certain amount of time, start small and work your way up based on how your child is kind of performing and behaving. A very simple strategy is offering choice. So let your child choose if it's possible. So if they're you know, struggling with homework and getting all their homework done. They don't want to do it. They just want to play video games. Let them choose the order of which to complete their homework. So first, if they want to do English, they do English, then math. Um, just give them, you know, the options of, of what to do first and next. And this just helps them have a sense of control over their day and their activities. And having that control can also help keep them motivated. Another strategy is allowing for frequent breaks, especially at first. So um, if you're dealing with a lot of kind of like high frequency, intense problem behavior, allow them to have breaks. Don't force, you know, don't force them to be engaging in, in work and tasks. Um, there's a saying where you shouldn't uh, push against a closed door. So just, you know, don't do that. Let them have breaks. Let them access that escape. Once you see the challenging behavior diminish, that's when you start fading out the breaks and fading in the demands. Another strategy is to reduce the task. So before when we were talking about escape extinction, if you presented, you know, let's say it's 10 math worksheets or 10 math problems on a worksheet, escape extinction would require you to do all of them, regardless of whatever the behavior is, regardless of the kid is having a tantrum, screaming, whatever. Um, but now, as I was saying, we have a more gentle approach and I think simply reducing the task could be helpful. So instead of doing all 10 problems, perhaps they just do the first three problems. So you can make it easier by reducing the load or by even making the task itself easier because perhaps they're trying to access escape because they don't actually understand the task. So it's really important to understand why they're trying to escape. And if they're not understanding, make the task easier for them. So I think that's a very important one. Again, meeting the child where they're at. And the most important thing of all is the reinforcement. So make sure that you deliver the reinforcer or the break in this case when it is scheduled. So if you have your contingency set up, you know, first work, then break, or, you know, first, you know, one worksheet, and then you get your break, deliver as is kind of promised with the contingency. So lots of parents I've worked with will say things like, oh, you know, this is working so well. He's doing so much homework. Um, he can do another assignment. Let's just let him do one more before he gets the break. You know, let's like make the most of this opportunity where he's actually working. But I always tell them, no, no in capitals. Do not do that. Stick with the contingency. Let them have the reinforcer. If we said it's one worksheet and break, then it's one worksheet and a break. And if he's doing well, then maybe for the next, you know, session, we will increase it to two worksheets, then a break. But 
it's important to establish trust with your child so that they understand that you will follow through. So if you've established, you know, before you've started the task that it is one worksheet, then that's all they have to do. It's the one worksheet, then they have a break. And it's very important for you as the parent or the therapist to follow through. Um, and it's important to note that the kid is on track and behaving so well because they're following the contingency that is in place. And that contingency is working well for them. But by changing it, you're breaking that trust and you are also more likely going to have a, a meltdown on your hands. So definitely follow through with what is promised. So overall, it's important to problem solve with your child and not against your child. And you can do this by including them in the decision-making process and taking their ideas into consideration. So if you're trying to think of a solution to getting a certain amount of chores done and your, your child gives the suggestion that he doesn't want to do any chores, instead of getting really angry and defensive and going saying, no, you know, you have to do the chores, you can say something along the lines of, okay, let's add that to our problem-solving list, no chores, and then we'll kind of come back to that. So it shows that you're taking his opinions seriously. And then once you've, you know, compiled this list of potential solutions, which he has actively participated in creating, then go through why, you know, not doing any chores won't work, why that's not a viable solution. Uh, as usual, the key to managing escape behavior is reinforcing the behavior that you want to see. So when your child is on task, doing the chores, completing their work, following their contingency, it is crucial to follow through and reward this behavior because you really do get more of what you reinforce. So for a reminder of all the tips that we talked about in this episode, I would definitely suggest you head on over to PsychMinds, go to the resources tab and subscribe. Once you're a subscriber, you'll have access to the entire resource library, which has tons of great visuals, workbooks, organization tools, and so much more. So take a look through it, and I'm sure you'll find the material there very useful in some way. And on that note, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. While it can take up to an hour to create and edit, it only takes about a minute to review. And your reviews mean the absolute world to me. So if you could share, rate, or review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening, I would be so, so grateful. Thank you again, and I'll connect with you in the next one.